Well, this morning we have our reading out of Exodus chapter 20, one of the more central passages of all of Scripture. And I wanted to begin by giving a little apology to our Sunday night group that comes and meets at the building. We've been looking at Deuteronomy, and we recently talked about the Ten Commandments out of Deuteronomy. And in your Bible classes, you're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, I believe, next week. Uh, And in doing that, I I was talking about some things, and I thought, you know, I wish we could have talked about these things with everybody on Sunday morning. Uh, So since we have the Exodus passage now, we're going to talk about some of those things. So those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night, uh, you can be refreshed and reminded, or if you get tired of hearing some of the same things, you can leave, okay? <laughs> don't, don't do that. I've gotten a hard time, too, about my sermon title. I'm sort of glad every once in a while when I throw something out there that uh, people actually look at what the title is. Um, I didn't promise how long those ten words were. We might can stretch it out into a few minutes, but basically it's a sermon that touches upon the Ten Commandments the Decalogue, or as it's referred to, as they're referred to in Jewish tradition, the Ten Words. Uh, I started not to have you stand because the reading is a little longer than usual, but it dawned on me when these were being given, the, the people of Israel were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, so let's reenact that, okay? Let's be standing. They had to go take a bath beforehand too, so if any of you didn't bathe... Exodus chapter 20, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the words of God, the ten words of God. 
the Ten Commandments. You may have seen or be aware of the old Mel Brooks movie, History of the World, Part One. And in it, it has a scene of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And Moses goes up on the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments, and he comes down carrying, those of you who've seen the movie, three tablets of stone. That's right. And he walks down and he says something like this as he's holding the three tablets of stone. He says, Hear, O children of Israel, the God has given you 15, and suddenly he drops one of the stones, and it just shatters on the ground, and he looks down and he says, uh, 10, 10 commandments. It does bring up the question, why 10? Why do we have 10 commandments given by God. And those have, be, have so captured the attention of not only Israel, but then the new Israel, the church, that, that we say there's the ten words, the Decalogue, the ten commandments. Well, there's been some talk about that, and, and it could be that it's kind of a mnemonic device, that it's a given a way that we can remember because you have one commandment for each finger. I don't know. I can't tell you why there are ten commandments However, a better question to ask is why are there two tablets? Could God not write small enough to get all the Ten Commandments on one tablet? Or why didn't he have four tablets or five tablets? Why two tablets of stone? Now, believe it or not, there's really a better answer for that. Now, I don't know if it's the absolute correct answer, but there's an interesting thought as to why there are two tablets of the commandments. It's because the law has basically two sides to it. Uh, What you see before you is a representation with the ten words or the ten commandments on them. And we start over here on this side. You you know when you're looking at, if we were in English, we'd say, well, this is number one, that's number two. No, no, no. In Hebrew, this is number one, this is number two. Now, don't say they did it backwards because they were doing it a few thousand years before we were, all right? So you start at the right and then move on. So you've got the first words here. This says, I am the Lord. That's all it says. This says, no idol. You know, so it goes on down and tells us what to do. And then over here, we have no killing or no murder, no adultery, and on and on we go. So there we have those, but the interesting thing is that if you look just at that first tablet, it really has to do with how we relate to God. If you look at the second tablet, it has to do with how we relate to one another. And the interesting thing is there's definitely a connection between those two things. Some have pointed out that when Jesus was asked, what is the first commandment? What is the most important commandment? He basically summarized the first tablet when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. All right? So therefore, that was the the, the summation of that. That's where it begins is with the love of God. And that's why Jesus then hurried on and said, but you know, you really can't talk about the first commandment without talking about the second commandment, which is very close to it. And in the second commandment, he sums up then the second tablet. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this dichotomy 
of loving God and loving each other that is only, not only two different things but actually blend together runs all the way through Scripture. For example, those of you who like to read Paul's letters in the New Testament, most of his letters are written just like that. You have the first part of the letter that talks about what God did, and it talks about how we love God and respond to God. The second part of Paul's letter talks about then how we treat each other and how we do these things. The Bible also talks about that that if we love God, we love our neighbor, we love each other, and there's no way to show your love for God really unless you are loving one another. So there is an answer to that question of why two tablets And what I want us to focus on today as we look at these Ten Commandments is really two of the commandments that are right in the middle. Because not only are there two tablets, the two tablets overlap, or they kind of have a hinge between them that hold them together. The commandment here on the bottom of the first tablet is very closely connected to the first uh, commandment on the second tablet. Let's talk about that first commandment on the second tablet. What was that? You shall not. Okay. Now, you heard in my little thing here in in my, my translation that it did say murder, didn't it? Which is really a better translation of that particular word. The word is ratzak. And that word does not mean just killing of any kind, but it does mean the kind of killing that we tend to think of as murder, the kind of killing that is indiscriminate, the kind of killing that is done for personal gain, the kind of killing that is done that that is uh, totally, absolutely against the morality of God. Because actually, if you say no killing of any kind, then there goes part of our food supply, It also goes against a society having the right to realize that there are dangerous people among it and to preserve the life of some, then others must be sacrificed. But, you know, those things are not really addressed by this. What it's talking about, though, is that the people of God are called upon to have a basic appreciation for the sanctity of life. That life is holy. That the people of God regard life as a gift of God and that all life has as its source the God who loves us and gave us our lives. And therefore to honor him and to respect him, we must have also that same regard for the sanctity and the holiness of life. Now, you're sitting here going, well, yeah, I get that. Well, I'm glad you do. Because not everybody does. We live in a world where life is not always regarded as something that is holy. There have been societies arise in the history of this world that viewed life as something that could be easily gotten rid of and removed if it was inconvenient for them. You know, think about watching the History Channel and you see the the rise of the Nazis. And some of you lived through that era of our history. And there was a society that believed that they were the super race. And therefore, they had the right to remove from this earth any race of people or any people with certain beliefs that they considered to be inferior. And therefore, because of that, millions of people lost their life. It's happening today in other parts of the world. 
where dictators and rulers over their nations, whenever they feel threatened by some of the people, they're eager to call out the army and call out all their military in order to put down the uprisings, having no regard that the very people they are killing are their own people, that the very people that they're killing have this precious gift from God, this holiness of life. We read about areas in Africa where different tribes of people for different reasons rise up, often with religious fervor, but with this same idea that my life is more valuable than your life, and therefore I have the right to take it. Now, we read those things, we hear those things, and we're horrified by them, but we need to make sure that in our society, in our life, that we're doing all that we can as well to preserve and to honor the gift of life that God has given. Now, one of the problems with our view of life is that sometimes we begin to define life that is worthwhile as life that is convenient, that is productive, that is useful. Life that is free from pain and suffering. And that lives that that maybe reach the margins of those areas are no longer quite as valuable as a young, energetic, productive life might be. This is why we find ourselves continually discussing the topic of abortion and questioning whether or not it's okay that we make a decision to end a life that young or a life that's inconvenient or a life that, that really is not going to be a productive member of our society. God's Word calls upon us to recognize that He has given the gift of life. It is to be honored as a gift and to be considered holy. It is not holy and it is not uh, to be honored only if it is convenient for us. Or if, you know, the other day I heard a, a report uh, out of England that some of the theologians in England are getting uh, very disturbed because they're hearing more and more. Now, I'm not saying it's not happening here, too. This report came out of England that more and more people are beginning to even practice abortion to determine the sex of a child. If they find out that, that their child is going to be the sex that they didn't want, they've already got one of those, or for some reason they, they want this particular one, then, well, abortion is a logical choice to just end the life and move on. The people of God are called upon to protect life on its edges, to protect the life of those who are young, Protect life even before it becomes useful and productive. Because we are called upon to recognize that all life is given to us by God. Now, the very young, that's one extreme. The other extreme are those who have lived their lives, have gone through their productive years, and now are in their final years. And that brings us to the bottom commandment on tablet one. You shall... I didn't mean to do that, Monty. I pushed the wrong button. (laughs) That wasn't my laser. I'm sorry. (laughs) The bottom commandment. You young folks, listen. um, Just because we old folks are, are technically challenged, we're still good people. All right? 
I'm kind of joking, but uh, part of what has really kind of bothered me lately is that um, you, we're going to talk about honoring the old. I'm kind of messing up my outline here. But we t- talk about honoring those who are older than us, and sometimes those of us who are older than the younger folks come across looking kind of silly because we don't know which button to push. Um, so you young folks are going to have to work real hard to honor us and love us anyway as we go through this technological revolution. All right. Anyway, let's go to the, four, the, the, the fifth commandment there, the one at the bottom. And it talks about honoring your father and your mother. And honor certainly is a word that in the Old Testament is primarily reserved for God. That, that we are to exalt him and to give him respect and to give him honor. Well, here we have this commandment that we're supposed to do the same thing, not only with just our physical mother and father, but with all of those who are older than we are. Now, I know that's the case because if we look at other uh, examples in Scripture, we find like in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, these words, you shall rise, stand up before the aged. Now, if you take that very literally, and and really in society, we used to do more of that. If someone who was older walked in the room, it's much like the military. If somebody who is more, is a senior, uh, has senior authority over you, a rank over you, then you must rise, you must salute. Well, the Bible says, you know, you really ought to at least do that in your heart. That when someone who is more mature, who is older than you, comes into the room, then you shall rise. It says you shall defer to the old, and you shall fear your God. Now, that's an interesting connection. That our attitude toward those who are older than we are is very closely connected with our attitude toward God. Now, that kind of makes sense with honor your father and mother, because God presents himself as our father. And as we learn to relate to parents, then that, that same attitude is often the same attitude we carry over to relating toward God. And it flows back and forth. The more we are really determined that we want to honor God, the more that we then also honor our parents. So, the sanctity of life reaches into the extremes of both those who are younger than we are and those then who are also older than we are. And we recognize that that life is valuable at its outer edges. It is to be treasured. It is to be respected. It is to be nurtured, ministered to, honored. It's interesting that this is the commandment, as Paul points out in Ephesians, when he repeats this same commandment, he points out that this is the commandment that has a promise with it. And what is that promise? That if you learn to respect life on its extreme edges and to respect the life of those who are going before us, then he says you will live long in this land. You will prosper. You will do well. Now, there's two aspects to that. A practical aspect is that those of us who are younger, as we build a society and build families where the older are treasured and ministered to and loved and taken care of, you are setting an example and building an ethos so that when it comes your turn to walk that path, that you have shown by your example to those who are behind you that this is the way life 
is to be treated. But also, this is an active promise of God. I often encourage people to really notice in the Bible what it is that God has promised us. I I really feel like that many times we're disappointed when God doesn't give us something because we think that he promised to give us that, but we really can't find anywhere in the Bible where he promised us that. And I encourage people to go through and read the Bible and find what it is that God has really promised because he will keep those promises. The things he said, I will do these things, then he will do them. And a promise that he made us is that if we have regard for the sanctity of life, if we treasure those who are going before us, minister to them, love them, nourish them, nurture them, then our lives will go well. That's a promise of God that he is active in that. And one way that those of us who are still younger can assure ourselves of God's presence in our life is to bring that presence and put that presence to use in the way that we minister and love those who are going before us. The people of God have several marks in their lives. There's been a book written about the mark of a Christian. How do you tell who someone is a Christian? One of those marks is that a child of God loves life. Not just their own lives, but the other lives around them. The lives on the extreme edges. The lives that are too young to care for themselves. The lives that have grown too old to care for themselves. And those lives are treasured. We said at the beginning that this idea of of loving God and loving our neighbor goes together. Well, another thing about these 10 words that God gave, he didn't say, okay, if you will do these things, I will be your God. What he said was, I will be your God. I am your God. I have delivered you from slavery. Now do these things. Another thing about God is that he treasures life so much, he was willing to give his own to preserve ours. God says, I am your Lord. Now, here's how to live. In the gospel we read, Jesus is our Savior who died for us. Now, here's how to live. Let's stand and sing.